celebrate the fact that our Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And by faith we receive the promise that those who follow him will themselves someday rise from the dead. And everyone who believes that gospel, that good news, has hope, a hope that animates our life. I'm wearing my Easter tie today. Uh, I got this tie at a dear friend's funeral. This was the tie that his wife uh, gave all of us to wear, and it's become my Easter tie because I expect to see my, I know, I will see my friend again someday, alive in the presence of God. That is the hope that we have as Christians. It's the hope that we proclaim today. So today ought to be one wonderful worship service of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, unfortunately, we're all surrounded by friends and family and coworkers and neighbors and classmates who don't share this hope. To them, it seems, frankly, too good to be true, like a little fairy tale that we tell ourselves to feel a little better in the face of certain death. They look at the world and say, hey, we don't see people rising from the dead, and so what is is what will be. It's impossible. It's not going to happen. And we grieve for these friends of ours who don't have the hope of the resurrection. You know, to believe in a resurrection from the dead, not only do you have to believe there is a God, but you have to go further and believe that that God is personal and cares about us enough to bring us back to life so that uh, we might live with him forever in heaven. And for many people, uh, that's just too incredible to believe. And we grieve for them. Well, we encounter such skeptics in our Bible story today, so if you would, please turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 18. And in this text, some Sadducees uh, asked Jesus a question. It's an insincere question. It's a stumper question. They asked Jesus this question, not really looking for an answer, but believing he won't be able to provide an answer. And thus, the uh, idea of a resurrection from the dead will be shown for the pipe dream that it is. Mark chapter 12, verse 18. And the Sadducees came to him, who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise and the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. A few years ago, I had the privilege of uh, eating with a rabbi. And I'd never had some you know, one-on-one -on -one time with a rabbi before, so I couldn't help but just pepper him with questions. Uh, so, hey, uh, the Tanakh, tell me uh, the Tanakh. That's what we call the Old Testament, the Law and the Prophets. Um, 
So when you get up and uh, proclaim the Tanakh, is it, like a, is it like a sermon I would give? Do you sort of read from the scriptures and then talk about what it means and apply it to life? And uh, I just gave him all kinds of questions. But his answers were perplexing me. And finally, I, I just, I said, do you believe that the Tanakh is the, the word of God? And he said, no, I don't. Oh. He said, well, what is it then? He said, oh, it's, you know, it's the best of ancient man's wisdom. Uh, and, you know, a lot of it's outdated, but there's still a whole lot of really good stuff there. Okay. So we kept talking. Uh, I kept scratching my head with his hands. Finally, I just said, do you even believe there's a God? He said, no. Really? He said, no, I would not believe in God unless he showed up and uh, explained the Holocaust. Why are you a rabbi? <laughs> what are you doing? Why are you a rabbi? You don't believe that there's a God. You don't believe that the Tanakh is the word of God. And he said, well, you know, I'm a Jew. And uh, Judaism to me is a, is a cultural thing. And um, I like being a rabbi. I'm promoting our Jewish culture. Or I'm extending it into the modern world. And frankly, there's a lot of really good wisdom in the, uh, in the Tanakh. And so I like helping people be good Jews and... Uh, and, and have, live, a, live a good and wise life. I'm convinced that if that rabbi had lived at the time of Christ, he would have been a Sadducee. The Sadducees were one of the religious uh, groups in Israel, and uh, they were the materialists. They were the ones who saw Judaism predominantly as a cultural thing. They weren't going to the Tanakh, to the scriptures, um, looking for the power of God and the voice of God. They weren't looking around expecting God to act mightily on their behalf and on the, on the behalf of their people. You know, this was, they looked at the world and said, how does the world work? Well, that's the way the world works. And that was the, the limit of their possibilities. And so uh, they did not believe there was a resurrection. And thus their question to Jesus. Now, uh, they think they've given Jesus the question that no one can answer. I'm sure that they had used this uh, scenario to confound the Pharisees, another religious sect at the time, who did believe in a resurrection from the dead. And I'm sure that they had used this and stumped the Pharisees. So, hey, we're going to stump Jesus. The text they're referring to, uh, the law, come, is found in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 5, in which... Uh, Moses penned this. If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. So, it was a law intended to ensure that uh, you had descendants, progeny, and so that your name continued. Now, I have three brothers, two are older, they married before I did, so I had fun teasing my sisters-in-law, saying, <laughs> fortunately, they married very well, so I, I was not worried at all, and I just said, you know, hey, uh, if my brothers die, I just want you to know, I'm here for you. <laughs> they, they did not think that was funny. So these Sadducees, here's what they they think they've they've they think they've shown an incompatibility between the law of Moses and 
the uh, idea of a resurrection from the dead. Because here's why. You know, hey, this woman and these brothers, they did what God asked them to do, but now, assuming there's this resurrection from the dead, look, they're in a, a massive dilemma. And so you've got the law of Moses uh, pitted against or in conflict with the idea of a resurrection from the dead. You're in a Gordian knot. You can't escape this. And so see this idea of a resurrection from the dead uh, doesn't make sense. Doesn't even, it's not even compatible with you know, the scriptures that you so esteem. So let's look at Jesus' um, response. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Now, some have understood Jesus' logic to be basically this. At the resurrection, our bodies will be so ethereal, will be like the angels, and that will be spirit beings, and so marriage doesn't make sense. We won't be able to procreate, we won't be able to enjoy the, uh, the pleasures of marriage because we'll, we'll have such uh, spirit-like bodies. Uh, but that's not what Jesus is saying. It's much simpler than that. Uh, what Jesus is saying is, guys, <laughs> you fail to understand the basics of marriage covenant. The marriage covenant covenant is only lasts until physical death, until the body dies. Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 39. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she's free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. In other words, only to another believer. So Jesus is saying, guys, uh, when the first brother died... She was freed from her marriage covenant to him, which is why she was able to marry brother two. Otherwise, she would have been an adulteress. And so when all seven brothers died, they're not married. And so at the resurrection, the, you know, she's not married to any of those brothers. They're not married to her. Every, they're completely free. There is no uh, Gordian knot here. There's no problem at all. The, the uh, situation that you present is nonsensical. And then he goes on to say, in fact, at the resurrection, in that you know, final state, there won't be any marriage. There won't be the giving of marriage. Uh, marriage or the giving of marriage will be like the angels. What does he mean by we'll be like the angels? What he means is uh, we will have one primary relationship, and that is with God himself. The angels exist to serve the Lord. And in, and in the final state, although we'll have relationship with other people, we are the bride of Christ, and we will have one relationship, a primary relationship that takes our attention, our focus, our love. So he's just like a hot knife through butter. He's just cut right through their uh, scenario and said, there is no conflict between the law of Moses and the fact of the resurrection from the dead. You're mistaken. You should know your scriptures better. And then Jesus continues, and he answers the question behind the question. You see, the, the, the Sadducees had not verbalized a, uh, a doubt or a skepticism in the resurrection from the dead, but Jesus knew their hearts. 
He knew they did not believe in a resurrection. He knew that their question was merely an attempt to sort of trip him up. Verse 26. As for the dead being raised. In other words, let's get to the real heart of the matter. As for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He's not God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. Now, Jesus's answer here is uh, more than just, hey, when God uh, spoke about Moses or Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he used the present tense indicating that they are still alive, although that's part of the answer. Uh, but, but the uh, answer he gives is actually uh, even uh, deeper than that and even more um, cutting, I would say. The text Jesus refers to is Exodus chapter 9. I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 6. This is the passage in which... Uh, God calls Moses into ministry from a burning bush, a bush that is on fire but does not burn up, itself a miracle. And he says to Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and command him, let my people go. I am going to, uh, I'm going to remove them, free them from 400 years of slavery, and I'm going to take them to the land of Canaan, the promised land. And why am I doing this? I'm doing this because I am the God of Abraham Isaac, and Jacob. I am in a covenantal relationship with these guys. And so the exodus was, in fact, God mightily working on behalf of his uh, covenantal people to fulfill, in part, the covenant. The marriage covenant uh, lasts only until physical death, but the covenant that God made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is an everlasting covenant. Genesis 17, 7. Remind us of what God promised to Abraham. God said to Abraham, And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Now, those who did not uh, believe in a resurrection would argue, oh, well, what God means here is that uh, he's going to always have some descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the land of Canaan. And that's what he means by it will be everlasting, which is why many of the Jews believe they would never be kicked out of the land. But what Jesus is saying is, the covenant relationship that God made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it's an everlasting covenant, and it demands a bodily resurrection for it to be fulfilled. If you knew your scriptures better, you would know the scriptures unambiguously, absolutely teach a resurrection from the dead. You are quite wrong. So what does this mean for us? Here's the good news for you and me. Paul tells us in Galatians 3.29 that we, have, we are inheritors of that everlasting covenant. Galatians 3.29, and, and, and if you are Christ's, how do you become Christ's? By repenting of your sins and putting your faith in him. 
making him Lord of your life. You become a Christian, you are Christ's. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. If you're a Christian, God has entered into an everlasting covenant with you. The God who is always faithful to his word. And according to Jesus, that covenant demands for it to be fulfilled in your life. It demands that God bring you back from the dead. Is that a glorious truth? That's unbelievable. And so Jesus, the New Testament tells us, Jesus was merely the first fruits. First fruits always indicate there's a later, greater harvest to come. And you and I will be part of that greater harvest. There is coming a day when although our bodies are dead and in the ground, God will bring us back to life. Now we will have a, uh, a transformed body, a, a, a heavenly resurrected body, but based on what we saw with Jesus, he, he ate uh, fish and he said, here, touch my hands and my feet. So it's transformed, it's, it's different, but yet it is, uh, it is uh, material at, at some level. So we're looking forward to that, a resurrection from the dead. And the Bible says that the same power that brought Christ from the dead lives in us. Who is that? It's the spirit of the living God. It is the power of God's spirit that brought Jesus from the dead. And as followers of Christ, God's spirit comes and dwells within us and is the guarantee that when we die, it's not over because that same power will bring us back from the dead as well. That's what we celebrate on Easter. Uh, this is not just a fairy tale that we tell ourselves to feel better. Uh, it is a hope rooted in the character of God who always fulfills his promises to us. Amen? Amen. I want to return to the Sadducees. You've heard they're sad, you see, because they don't believe in resurrection. <laughs> you are quite wrong, Jesus said. Man, when the Son of God says, you're, you really, you're completely out there, you've got it wrong, uh, you need to pay attention. And why are, why are they wrong? Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God? Two reasons. The Sadducees did not believe in a resurrection from the dead. Number one, they misinterpreted the scriptures. But Jesus has now cleared that up. He has demonstrated the scriptures do in fact teach a resurrection from the dead. There is no conflict uh, with the law of Moses. But how many Sadducees do you believe heard Jesus' answer and said, Oh, okay, uh, now I will become a believer in the resurrection. Maybe some. Maybe for some that was their only hang-up. But for many of the Sadducees, uh, there was another reason they did not believe in a resurrection from the dead, and it was they did not know the power of God. They did not know the power of God. They had never experienced the power of God in their own lives. They weren't looking for the power of God at work in their world. They weren't open to that. They were the materialists. They were the ones who said, I look at the way the world works now, and that's, that's how I will assume the future will be. If I can't touch it, taste it, smell it, if I can't uh, validate it with the uh, scientific method, 
well, then it's not real, and I refuse to believe in it. And Jesus' pronouncement upon that worldview is, you are quite wrong. There is a spiritual realm of which you know nothing about. There is a God whose power is available to you, and you're not tapping into it. You are completely missing the boat. How sad that is. You know, when you, when you appraise the world, apart from the power of God, there's a whole lot that is not possible. That's not possible. That can't happen. There's no way. And yet, when you look at life and you factor in the power of God, you realize all things are possible. The Bible is very clear. With man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And the Christian says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Maybe the doctor has told you, uh, you're... Illness is going to be lifelong, or it's terminal. Doctors aren't dumb. Diagnosis is probably correct. But what if the power of God comes to bear on your illness? What might happen? Or maybe it is an addiction. Drugs, alcohol, prescription meds, cigarettes... And you've tried and failed. You've gone to uh, rehab and you've relapsed. And you have, you've concluded, you know what? I can't, I can't break free of this. I'm going to have to just resign myself to a life of addiction. But what if the power of God comes to bear on your addiction? What might happen? Maybe it's a marriage. No. We've been... We've been unhappy for too long. We've tried. We've got a counseling. We can't seem to change the dynamic. This marriage is, is doomed. But what if the power of God comes to bear on your marriage? Maybe it's a business. And uh, you've, you've done all you can to make the business work. And you just can't seem to uh, pull it out. Have you asked God to bring his power to bear on your business? What might change? Think of the possibilities. When you know the power of God, the world, there is nothing off limits. The world is full of possibility, including resurrection from the dead. And that's not just a possibility. That's a fact that is a guarantee because God has promised it. How do, we know, how do we know the power of God? The Sadducees, they did not know the power of God. And there are people that, that we know and love who themselves don't know the power of God. Maybe you're here today and you don't know the power of God. How do we know it? Well, number one, you've got to be open to it. Stop being skeptical. If you're not open to the power of God, you won't encounter it. If you uh, insist upon maintaining a, a, a materialistic, only this world, only what I can see is real. You'll miss the power of God. You'll never know it. Number two, in order to know the power of God, you've got to respond to the power of God in the person of Jesus Christ. God has worked powerfully on your behalf. His son left heaven and came to earth and went and died upon the cross willingly, 
No man takes my life from me, Jesus said. I give it up. He paid the penalty for your sins. And it was, it was enough. And then he burst forth from the grave, demonstrating victory over the power of sin and death. You'll never know the power of God if you don't receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It all begins there. God has worked powerfully on your behalf. But if you, will, if you continue to stiff-arm Jesus, you'll never know the power of God. And then finally, in order to know the power of God, you've got to ask for it daily. Even as Christians, there's, there's so much of the power of God that is available to us, and, and we just ignore it. You have not because you ask not, God tells us. I, tell, I don't want to miss out uh, on, the, on, on the power of God at work in my life. Do you? God wants to work for us. He wants us to know his power. But sometimes we just got to ask. So I've asked uh, my dear friend Chris to come and, and share. Uh, Chris encounter, or began to know the power of God uh, at the age of 28. And I asked him to come and share the, the difference it has made in his life. I'm thrilled to be here on Easter Sunday to talk about the transforming power of Jesus Christ. You know, when I read my son's baptism testimony, uh, I was touched by its simplicity. Let's review what Simon said. I, public con I publicly confess I'm a Christian. Life can be tough. I struggle with sin and need Jesus. I use God's word to help me change. Uh. Tough day, Mike, with two kids getting baptized. <laughs> Simon's testimony is also my testimony. Uh, today I'm 44 years old, and I spent nearly 30 years uh, not being a Christian. I want to stress that I was in and out of church as a kid. I claimed to believe in God. I even used religious language to write poems to my girlfriend when I was dating her. <laughs> Uh, but I was not a Christian. I was hell-bent on controlling my own life, and I did not love God, and I did not love people. I want you to hear that Jesus did a miracle. He changed my heart of stone to a heart of flesh. He enlightened the eyes of my heart so that I might, might know hope and experience the immeasurable greatness of his power. And I'm talking about resurrection power. You know, we most celebrate resurrection power today on Easter in the context of the Father raising the Son from the dead. Uh, but this power is available to all of us every day to help us live changed lives. I once only faced God's power of his wrath, uh, but now the power of God's towards me is power that raised me spiritually from the dead gave me life and faith, opened my blinded eyes, conquered my rebellious will, and created a new heart. Now look, I'm not saying that I apply this power perfectly to every situation or every relationship, but I have applied it to some with life-altering results. And better yet, sometimes I'm the benefactor of of people applying it to my life when I need it. 
When I think deeply about the things of God and reflect on the work that he's done over the past decade and a half, I want to plead with you, become a Christian if you're not. How many of you know what this is? What is it? Honey. It's honey. That's right. And you know, the benefits of this honey is readily available. But it can only be uh, enjoyed when the cap is removed and the honey is poured out. Right? The resurrection, I've talk- the resurrection power I've talked about today and Mike's talked about and several have uh, given testimony to is like this honey. We need, we need people to remove the cap of disbelief, right? And remove the barrier of skepticism and taste and see that the Lord is good. Mm. Experience his power today. Thanks. mind bowing your heads so you can focus uh, fully on the Lord and his call on your life. I'm not going to ask anybody to come forward or uh, make public proclamation, but I think it's super clear. If you are not, if you have never made a decision to respond in faith to the Son of the living God, do that right now. There are no magical words. You just tell God, I believe. I receive Jesus' death upon the cross as payment for my sin. And I'm going to follow you for the rest of my life. God sees your heart. He knows your honesty. And he will respond. He promises that. To those who believe, God gives the power to become children of God. It's a gift. If you've made that decision, I would love the privilege, Chris would love the privilege of praying with you and talking to you about uh, some next steps. And so at the end of the service, I'm going to, Chris and I are going to beeline to the Clearwater Church sign. We'll be right in front of the sign. Please come uh, share this decision you've made. If nothing else, then to uh, give us joy of uh, sharing that with you, rejoicing. Let me ask this of everybody. Where do you need to know the power of God today? We all need it. Where do we need to know the power of God today? Is it in a relationship? Is it in in an illness? Right now, verbalize that. God, I, I need your power to come to bear on this. Please, ask him for it. He loves you. He answers those prayers. He's not mad at you. You haven't run too far. No matter where you are, if you turn to God, he hears and responds.
You want the honey of God poured over your life? It's available. But you've got to ask for it. Jesus Christ. You are the risen Lord. You will return someday to earth and call forth from the grave all those who have followed you in this life. We celebrate your mighty resurrection and we receive in it the hope that we too will live eternally. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for making all of this possible by willingly giving up your life for ours. It's in your name we pray. Amen.